Welcome to Set for Stun. My name is Ron. And I'm Drew. And we're going to talk about everything from mouse droids to midichlorians. So strap in and get ready to make the jump to light speed. So on today's episode of Set for Stun, we're going to be covering the writing styles and influences of George Lucas. And we're joined today by Trent again. He was on our episode three podcast where we covered the expanded universe, and he's back to talk writing. How's it going, Trent? It is going great so far today. A little sweaty. (laughs) Understandable. It's hot outside. How are you today, Drew? Honestly, same. It's extremely hot, and I shouldn't have worn a hoodie today. (laughs) Does it feel like the desert planet of Tatooine? It sure does. Because the fun fact about that, that is where our hero in Star Wars for both the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy started out on a desert planet. The exact same one, actually. George's influences span anywhere from Buddhism. He was heavily inspired by Akira Kurosawa samurai movies from back in the day. Also, the John Wayne Western films with the spaghetti westerns, all those classics. You see that with Han Solo. Look, He has a very Western look about him, aside from the cowboy hat. And honestly, I've kind of heard Star Wars be considered a space Western. Absolutely. I've heard that a lot, yeah. And I, I agree. I can definitely agree. Especially just Han Solo's character is like the most westerny out of all of them. You mean the gunslinging criminal? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so wh- the other thing that's kind of cool along th- those lines is the character Cad Bane from oh, yeah. the Clone Wars series. And he was recently in the book of Boba Fett. His l- whole design is heavily inspired by one of the characters from The Good, Bad, and the Ugly. That's actually kind of cool. I, do you know which I one? I think it was... It was either the, the the bad or the ugly. I don't remember the exact character names from the... I watched the the movie, but it's been probably about a year since I've watched it. Same, actually, yeah. But there, he was heavily inspired by one of those. Like, if you look at yeah. the hat, I think it is from the one that's the bad. His hat's, like, the exact same. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I can't remember if it's, Star, uh, if it's the Clone Wars or if it's Rebels, but in one of those shows, there's another character that they bring in that is entirely just a cowboy. Like, he is, he's an actual human. Oh, yeah. But and he's got, like, a duster on and everything. But writing-wise, George was heavily influenced by Joseph Campbell's book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And that pays references to the monomyth, which is the hero's journey. And in all honesty, pretty much every story that's been recorded is inspired some way by the hero's journey, all the way back to Gilgamesh. Every culture has a variation of that exact same story. Really, every culture has like a chosen one story. Mm Mm-hmm. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with the hero's journey, it's a cycle. Your hero starts with a call to adventure. And in A New Hope, Luke has the call to adventure to leave the planet because all of his friends have gone off planet to go either join the Imperial Academy or join the Rebellion, something along those lines. After that, you have the supernatural aid. And that's usually done by the mentor figure. And the mentor figure in A New Hope is Old Ben. Ben Kenobi. Yes. Going through the archetype, you can easily see the plot of A New Hope and even just the arc in general playing out within Star Wars because there's also a a threshold guardian that you have to go past, and I think the initial threshold for A New Hope was going into Moss Eisley because that was really the first time that Luke was really in any danger because that's when he gets threatened by, I can't remember, what are the two dudes' names in the cantina? I, I don't know their actual names, but I know who you're talking about. Like, the guy who's yeah. like, I've got, oh, yeah. oh, I can't remember exactly what he says, but he's got like got a bunch of uh, police after him and a bunch of different yeah. systems I'm or something like that. five different <laughs> that's systems. That's what it was. Something, something like that, yeah. And then, and then Obi-Wan cuts his arm off. Yeah, Buttface, but, man. Buttface gets his arm cut off. Yeah, that's who it was, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what their race is called, but I call them butt faces because that's what they look like. <laughs> that's the only – have they ever used that race again? Yeah, it's in – I think they were in Book of Boba Fett. I think they're not native to Tatooine, but they just migrated there, and that's where that species yeah. lives now. I think their pla- – maybe I think their planet may have got destroyed at some point. I think Tatooine's kind of just like the planet where everybody just goes when yeah, they it, it's, don't it's have the, anywhere it's like else the to. Hub, it's like the like, – outcast hub of the outer rim pretty much pretty much yeah speaking on the western themes that are present in star wars um 
on the set of the movie, they really wanted to make that cantina scene uh, very distinctive. Mm -hmm. And the music, obviously, is part of that. There's some, like, awesome music that's in the cantina. It's the space version of Ragtime. (laughs) Well, do you know what it's called? It's... Oh my god, I knew at one point it's, it was something hilarious, but I can't remember what it was called. They wanted to make a spacey version of jazz, and they decided back in the 70s to call it jizz. That's I, right. I've heard that. That's I've heard that right. before. That is evidently true. <laughs> <laughs> I do know with that scene, it wasn't exactly how George envisioned it in his head, because at the time in the 70s, they just didn't have the real means to bring to life everything that he wanted in there. I remember I I saw some kind of interview with Mark Hamill, who played Luke Skywalker, and he was talking about that, how in in the script and in the concept and everything, it it was played up as this really fantastical environment where you see all these plethora of different creatures. And then Mark was like, he he went in there and it was just like kind of a bunch of people in like cheap costumes. <laughs> I remember yeah, it suffered from what Star Trek did in its first iteration yeah. mm. where half the aliens were just painted people. One of the people like it when it's panning across like you know they come into the the cantina and yep. then it does like the like that shot that everybody does where they like it pans around and everybody's staring and looking at them. When yeah. it's going across there's one guy who is straight up just in a a NASA spacesuit. Oh yeah, I remember <laughs> that shot. Yeah. There's also the uh, werewolf London. Oh yeah, the werewolf, the werewolf London. London is in the Wolfman. Yeah, there's, li- there's literally a Wolfman in there. <laughs> uh, I feel like that would be just like a little cameo. Like that would be an yeah, Easter egg. Yeah, that, that's for what I thought. I, I've, I remember seeing him in there when I was a kid, but I, I didn't think about it until like fairly recently. I was one of the YouTubers I watched. <laughs> James Rolfe He's the angry video game nerd, but he's really based in cinema. It's one of his favorite cameos because he he loves the Wolfman movie, the classic monster movies from that time. And so yeah. he was just like, I, the Wolfman made an appearance in Star Wars. <laughs> it's crazy to think th- about how ambitious Star Wars is. For and real. evidently the uh, original drafts were even more so. Mm-hmm. They got turned down so much because uh, the production companies didn't think that they would be able to uh, represent market. it they, on they screen. Didn't have, they had, cause since there was nothing like Star Wars at the time, they had no clue how to even market it. To people, they thought people would never even go to see it, but it would just be too outlandish. Yeah, but I mean, that's what made it so big. That's what's made it so popular is because it kind of set the standard for sci-fi up until now. Anyway, people love blue milk. I don't know about all that. The outlandish thing—it kind of reminded me. I saw this interview with Mark Hamill where he was talking about like when they were reading the script and everything, and he was like reading one of the lines he had, and it was like a paragraph paragraph long of like just absolute nonsense and he turns to George and goes nobody talks like this yeah so it's always been the joke with the prequels especially that the dialogue is the weakest part of the movies would you say that that's accurate yeah yeah, but honestly I liked the dialogue in the prequels I did too I, I've everybody always hated on the prequels. I've really never had too many like issues with it. The dialogue was really awkward at times. It was but awkward. I feel like that's I feel like that's real to life. Yeah, I agree. The only time I ever really was like w- like cringing and wincing a little bit was when it was like Attack of the Clones and it was Anakin and Padme because it was just really awkward the whole time. <laughs> but he's supposed to be cringy. Exactly. Like, he's that's, a, he's like that's a, the thing people. He's a teenager. Get. Yeah, I feel like. I feel like your Jedi would act like modern-day incels in a lot of cases. Yeah, literally. <laughs> what the Jedi were heavily inspired by was the samurai, like especially oh, yeah. in the original trilogy. Because in the prequel trilogy, the, the lightsaber choreography is known for being super flashy, you know, like it's spinning, they're spinning it around their bodies and stuff like that. It's almost like it's weightless. Yeah. But if you look at the original trilogy, every Vader does it two-handed, Luke uses it two-handed, and that was... Supposed to be in part that the lightsabers, I think, were supposed to be heavy, but it was mainly to pay tribute to samurai because it, their their stances were classic oh, yeah. sa- samurai was, stances. I was actually going to add on because I had just read he also, along with the samurai, it was also uh, to pay homage to, like, knights and knighthood yep. and all that stuff, which yep. is why it's called, like, the Jedi Knights and all mm-hmm. that other stuff. And I thought that was really cool. It was just – it was kind of paying homage to the idea and the, the – 
philosophy of Bushido and chivalry. Yeah, basically. Also, the term lightsaber is actually a late addition to the movie. They are described as laser swords. Oh, yeah, oh, laser yeah. Throughout swords. The script. And every, it was, it was going to be multiple people using that. But to kind of go back to the whole hero's journey thing, you have one of the, in the hero's journey, the mentor usually gives some kind of magical amulet to the hero. And in the sense of A New Hope, that amulet is Anakin's lightsaber. Yeah. And you see most of the hero's journey kind of play out in A New Hope because by the end of it, Luke's kind of grown, but not grown enough. But you definitely see, because the hero goes through trials throughout the hero's journey, and the biggest trial is facing Vader and losing. And that's one of the big things is like he, he fought, the hero kind of falls to a degree and then has to do other things to build himself back up. And I know it's kind of just been overused a lot over time, but it's just a really solid archetype for building upon because you can do so many different things with just ha- like, because the mentor can be anybody. In the prequel trilogy, Anakin's mentor is Qui-Gon from the get-go, and then you, he, Qui-Gon dies in the first movie, and then he begins his new journey in his new life as a Jedi Knight. And in A New Hope, Ben le- leaves, and after that, Luke goes to, I believe they go to Yavin right after the Death Star. Yeah, they and go to Yavin that, And that's when he joins the Rebellion. Yeah. So that's his new life at that point is the Rebellion. And then in Empire Strikes Back, you see him kind of have a, a faltering sense again because he gets stranded out in the frozen wastes of Hoth and he has a vision of of Ben Kenobi again and Ben tells him to go to Dagobah to essentially continue his training and that's where he faces his biggest trial which is in the depths of the, the tree yeah I don't remember what the tree is exactly called but he faces the darkness which yeah. is essentially Vader yeah the darkest side of the fourth I, I was gonna I'm glad you brought that up because that's why Empire Strikes Back is my favorite Star Wars movie because that whole thing where he's like still he thinks he's ready and he goes uh, like he gets that vision from Ben that's like oh you need to continue your mm-hmm. training and whatnot so he goes there and then he, he goes into the uh, to like face the darkness and he fights Vader and then ends up like cutting his head off and then the and the mask explodes and it's his face oh my god I loved that it's so much. It's such a telling story because a lot of times I don't think some people really understood that at first, but what, I, I what know it is, for a fact I didn't. As a kid, I was always so confused by that, but like seeing it now, I obviously get it. Because Luke was his fear was that he would become like his father. Yeah, exactly. And that was the fear. And what's so great and telling about just the the writing for Star Wars is that in Return of the Jedi, that comes up. Luke in the in the final encounter with Vader, he's fighting Vader. And it's, it's the whole scene where Luke's like going, like slamming the lightsaber over and over in complete rage, attacking Vader. And then you hear the Emperor like, you know, laugh in the background. Good, good. You're giving into the dark side. And then Luke takes a second, realizes that and throws his weapon to the side. He's like, I'm a Jedi like my father before me. And that, and that scene that's was where so the, good. The, the the transformation. I feel like that's where he fully transforms into become like leaving the farm boy and leaving the just innocent, immature lifestyle that he had before, and he fully embraced his destiny at that point. We talked about this before, but I, I could go on a rant about modern writing and how it sucks. Oh, yeah. But we talked about how for a character to defeat the antagonist, they should necessarily have to defeat or like overcome a weakness within mm-hmm. themselves. Otherwise, you're just watching somebody play with their action figures on yeah. screen, and there's a whole bunch of special effects everywhere. That, actually, that's a really good point because you know how everybody brings up, oh, Star Killer is the most like overpowered, overpowered character. Yeah. Even he had to go through that. The he whole did. thing with um, I can't remember her name, but the, the Juno, Juno, the whole thing with her and like the fighting, like yeah. his feelings for her. He even had to go through that stuff, and he's yeah. like all like the most powerful freaking Sith on the planet. Yeah, on I the mean, planet. even you could tie the hero's journey into The Force Awakens as well to a degree. Like, it, it doesn't take it, like, bit by bit, but it definitely takes from that. Yeah, that's why Force Awakens was the better of the sequels, and then they just went downhill. 
Overpowered characters are a really good opportunity to do more of a metaphorical battle rather than yeah. an on-screen battle. But, I mean, I guess that doesn't make as much money. I mean, exactly. <laughs> it just kind of depends on what the, you're going for the audience because, honestly, one of the – as far as psychology goes with books, this is a slight tangent, but The Watchmen with the – why can't I remember his name? Dr. Manhattan, he – it's either Dr. Manhattan or Mr. Manhattan. Blue dude. Dr. The big Manhattan. Blue, yeah. yeah, Dr. Manhattan. He, his powers is to the point where he is essentially a god. He can do whatever he wants, be anywhere, in time, in any kind of dimension, wherever he wants. And you just see the dissonance that he has with humanity. And it just that's one of the things that is kind of played with. And what's interesting, bringing it back kind of to Star Wars is when they do the hero's journey for Anakin, instead of getting a boon of good like Luke did in the original trilogy, Anakin gets the the boon of the dark side, which is an evil boon, which eventually essentially leads to his downfall. I really like how George Lucas really sort of flipped his methodology in the prequel series because the original series is a very traditional Mm -hmm. chosen one hero's journey kind of story. And then you see it mirrored in the prequels, but it is a descent rather than a rise. Yes. And if if you can say anything about the prequels, if you like them or if you don't, I do think that is that is ambitious of George to do that because you can definitely see him sort of almost not not at odds with his own brain, but playing off of his own mind. And yeah. That. I think it's cool with the prequels too, is because. One of the just genius things with the writing that because you can just look so deep into the writing and I it might not even be that deep but the fact that with this archetype you can just kind of let your mind wander almost what's so interesting about the prequel trilogy and kind of having the inverted hero's journey is you really see the corruption that like Anakin's an innocent and he's corrupted from the get-go because at that time the Jedi Council is corrupted. That's why Qui-Gon is not a part of the Council. He was adamantly against the Council and was going to teach Anakin. Honestly, he was going to lead him more to be a gray than to be just fully light side. And with the death of Qui-Gon, that's why the song in... The ver- in, in episode one, the the, the battle theme, the the, 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 the the that one, it's called yeah. Duel of the Fates, and it's not the Duel of the Fates of the Jedi. It's it's the fate of Anakin, and that they are fighting for who is actually gonna gonna actually raise Anakin improperly. Because had Qui Gon won, I don't think Anakin would have fallen to the dark side. I think he would have stayed on the path of light and been the actual true chosen one that he was supposed to be. But because of the fault of the Jedi and that Obi-Wan was really just not ready to train a Padawan, especially yeah. of, of the caliber that was Anakin, and the Council wasn't equipped to actually properly train him either. The, the Council at that point was, in a way, corrupted or starting to be corrupted to really to the point that they were corrupted by the good because they were like, we, we have to side with the Republic because, you know, we want to save people, but the Republic was being pulled by the puppet master of Palpatine, and both sides were being played to him, and they were just all playing into his pocket. Absolutely. Uh, Going back to the Eastern influences Mm -hmm. you were talking about with George Lucas, you can see even from the very start, one of the core concepts in his first draft of Star Wars, the Star Wars, uh, in prehistory, Somebody discovered, at that point it was just somebody, discovered the force, but also discovered that there was a dark side to it. Mm -hmm. And their response to it was, just train everybody on the light side so they don't discover the dark side. And it's implied that that is what makes, just like sheltering a child, that's what makes it so bad when you have all these people who are, oh, just this, I forget what it's called, because he had names for them at the time, not just light side and dark side. Yeah. But uh, all of your light side force sensitives think that this is the way, and then one guy just goes like, actually, there's a different way, and he immediately gets like, Well, what's interesting is that's what, so Qui-Gon's master when he was going through training was Count Dooku, and Dooku was one of the first to actually be 
against the council. Like the only reason he went to the dark side was because he did not agree with the council. It wasn't because he wanted to really embrace the dark side. He just he found out what was going on. He in Attack of the Clones in the scene where Obi-Wan's like trapped on Geonosis and like hovering around, Dooku tells him the entire thing that's happening. He's like it's run by a dark lord of the Sith. You're being pulled, you're being drug along and they have the rug pulled over your eyes, pretty much. The wool pulled over your eyes. And Obi-Wan didn't believe him, but had he believed him at that moment, it would have changed the course of the Clone Wars. The Clone Wars would have never happened. Yeah. Just, there's just a sense of balance throughout the entire series. Uh, even in tiny things like the lightsaber. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I told you about this, but I realized that the lightsaber is equal parts shield and weapon. And yep. I can only imagine that the blasters and just all the weapons in the entire series were kind of kind of revolve around that mm-hmm. because as much as it's used to kill somebody or hurt them it can be used to protect yourself from attack and there's just a great level of balance in that that can even be pulled all the way back to the force because there is this sort of story going along of oh if you lean really hard into the light side you just leave yourself completely open to yeah. be blindsided well that's what's so in you bringing up balance as like the overarching theme of just star wars in general is a great point because across the board even with the lightsaber the reason that so many people like that just average people could not just pick up a lightsaber and use it is because the lightsaber the lightsaber the lightsaber <laughs> actually had gyroscopic properties so when you're moving it around, you would have to actually accommodate, like, balancing your weight and everything. So you would have to use the force to actually properly swing it like they did. And that's why in the original trilogy, that's another reason of why they kind of did the two-handed style was to have a little bit more control. And that was also after the fall of the Jedi. The, the ways of the force hasn't really been taught up until that point. Like, Yoda kind of taught Luke a little bit, but it wasn't to the degree that the Jedi were being trained in the prequel trilogies. That's why you see the super flashy combat style because they, that's a fully trained Jedi. And they, they're using the Force in all aspects to do that. But the Chosen One, the whole the, the prophecy is that Anakin will bring balance to the Force. It's all about finding that balance. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up like the like the balance and the Force, both of you, because uh, I had read that apparently whenever they wrote in the Force. Uh, like in the original Star Wars movie, it was supposed to be basically like almost like the chi, like yeah. the the yeah. Vi- the life force of the universe mm-hmm. essentially. And I always like th- going with the balance and everything. It's really good that they have it like that. Originally, the Force full name was supposed to be called the Force of Others, and you get the sense that it gets magnified the more people lend itself to it. Uh, someone who's trying to use the force, if they have people around them that are open to them, yeah. that it becomes stronger. And mm-hmm. that's a very yeah, yeah. that's a very power friendship that's actually, sort of deal. Yeah, that's there. actually really cool. I didn't know that at all. So what's interesting about that too, that makes me think of one of I wasn't a huge fan of Rogue One, but I liked it better than the sequel trilogy. But one of the characters in Rogue One that I really enjoyed, I don't remember his name, but it's it's the blind monk who is not a Jedi. He's just a basic human. And, but he wants to follow the Force. And going along, the, the, the Force is within everyone, and it gains power with more people. There is instances in the movie where he's literally walking through blaster fire from stormtroopers and both the rebels, and he's doing, like, the, like I am the Force and the Force is with me, and just kind of chanting that over and over. He's fine, and he's able to—he's blind, but he's able to dodge and do all these things that a normal human wouldn't have been able to do, but to bring about— he had just had that much trust in the Force and was able to, even though he wasn't, didn't have enough metachlorians to actually be a full-fledged Jedi, he somehow, through just dedication, was able to use the Force even in some small fashion. That's why that, that guy was always my favorite character in Rogue One, because mm-hmm. it, it had always been kind of just, not specifically said, but basically hinted that if you don't have metachlorians you can't use the force essentially. Yeah, like that's was the baseline. Yeah. So I, I was always like thought that like okay, so Jedi's have the force, nobody else does, and um, then this guy comes along and he's like you said, he's not a Jedi at all, but he's trust in the force so much mm-hmm. that it is he's able to use it to his benefit, and I thought that was amazing. And even I think to a degree because. In the original trilogies, Han is adamant that he, you know, he doesn't believe in the Force. That's a bunch of like 
mumbo jumbo in his eyes, but the force is with him because he, I think that his uncanny luck that he has is actually the force. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, after post original trilogy, so post fall of the empire and the destruction of the second Death Star, when he when because Leia actually gets some training from Luke whenever he's open whenever he's bringing about the new Jedi Academy, yeah, yeah. and. Han starts to have a little bit of a newfound respect, especially with his wife being a Force-sensitive and his best friend being Luke and being also being a Force-sensitive. I think to some degree he starts to kind of believe it and trust in the Force. Because doesn't he actually mention the Force a bit in Force Awakens? He, I, 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 was gonna, I was thinking about that too. I can't remember exactly what he says, but I'm pretty sure he does. And he like hints at the fact that he's also like not a Force user, but he... Trust him and believes in it, yeah. So that shows just even that he grows from there as far as the character. That's one of the things as far as writing goes for George Lucas. He makes great characters. They have – there's a reason that they're so beloved even now to this day is that you're the relatable. And I just – I feel like with a lot of the newer characters, they're just not as relatable because – a lot. Uh, this is the issue with modern writing, like like we've kind of talked about before, is that you have. It, I feel like modern writing's lazy, in so the sense that they, that they don't returned. they don't take the time <laughs> to properly give any kind of growth to your characters. Like there, there's nothing for us as an average human to relate to with that character. So I, it's just like you said. It's just. Two guys playing with their action figures. Yeah. Characters, I feel like when a writer, when a modern writer creates a character in these big studios, they they make the character at the end of their arc. They make the character as they want to see them when they need to, everybody has a life and everybody Mm -hmm. was something before and your characters need to change. Yeah. Sometimes it's for the worse. Sometimes it's for the better. You can work backwards. You can envision your better character first and start from when they weren't better. I'm going on a rant. Go ahead. Go for it. (laughs) Uh, Yes, no, that's great because when you see Luke at the start of the series, he's kind of – he's not at the place he needs to be. He's not serious about the role that he plays. Um, And that sort of just like is drawn out of him by his understanding of of I suppose the the mysticism the like yeah. the mystic aspect of of Star Wars um I'm losing my train of thought cuz I'm I'm getting worked up over <laughs> over <laughs> modern day writing um but but yeah the characters evolve in Star Wars see I was going to say with the Luke thing uh cuz uh, like you were saying, how in the first movie you could tell he's just like a teenage kid, and he's all, "I was going to Tatashi Station to pick up some power converters." And then, like after or during Return of the Jedi, really, you can see how like just mature he is. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, I, that's why I always think Luke has been one of those prominent characters that everybody looks at. That he's just like this super. Um, I can't think of the word I'm looking for. Not I was I almost said all powerful, but that's not like just he's a great guy that's like powerful, yeah. but he's not going to use it for his own benefit. He's yeah. going to use it to help others. It's, that's it's, it's it's so this is the thing with to to I think to go to be a peaceful person means that you have the capacity for for violence and for danger to 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 be an aggressive person but you have enough discipline to know when to use it and when not to use it exactly yeah that's that's what i was getting at with the mystic aspect of it or at least the uh the, the eastern influence because mm-hmm. i yeah. talked about ronan and i talked about you talked about uh george being influenced by like samurai serials and and, and movies mm-hmm. a big part of that culture is being a warrior and a philosopher yes the bad guys in Star Wars are all violence, no thought. They're not warrior philosophers. They're mm-hmm. just mindless, uh, 
controlled by like base impulses. That's that's almost what almost defines feral, the Sith. But, almost I mean, feral. That's and, really what the dark side is. Too, yeah. Because yes. if you think about it, like there's fear, there's passion, there's a, the aggression. It's all the the primal urges that people have, and and the supposed supposedly with the light side is is, is you have the discipline to not give in to those urges. Yeah. Yes. And you see that in Luke where he thinks as much like his. Him considering where he's at is it, it tracks with how much better of a warrior and how much better of a Jedi he becomes, mm-hmm. and that's what, what happens over the course of the movie. It's a point that George is trying to get across, and he does it very well. Very I was well. going to say you can tell, like, if you just looked at all three movies: A New Hope, uh, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. You can see in each one, Luke is like almost essentially a different person. Yes, and it's just amazing how well they did that. Because like it's. A New Hope teenage boy doesn't know what he's doing. An innocence. Em- yeah, innocence. Empire Strikes Back. He's he's getting a grasp on it. He's still trying to figure out. But, but he's, he's still st- growing. He's still growing. And then Return of the Jedi, he's like full-blown, like essentially a Jedi Knight at this point. And because at that point, he's already gone through several trials. He's gone through... Because that's, that's the other thing. They, they do stuff in between the movies yeah, that, you don't see, that you don't see, which is what people need to keep doing. <laughs> I agree. Because they keep thinking you need to show every little thing that happens because people will complain about that. And I'm just like, shut up. There so, is stuff that happened before, and you just need to have context clues. Yeah. Stuff happens before you get to see it. One of the things that I enjoy as far as some of the new stuff that's come out was... I really enjoyed the campaign of the new Battlefront 2, and I enjoyed how they portrayed Luke because whoever wrote that storyline for yeah, that Luke. game did a great job. Even as far as like the characters, the main character that you play in Iden Versio, she has great characters. Yeah, I, over like, I hate playing as her in multiplayer because she sucks as a character, but her character in general is good. Is amazing. Yeah, what, my favorite part of the storyline for Battlefront 2 is when Dell. One of the other characters that's a part of, uh, God, it's not, what, what's the, it's a, uh, so I can't remember the squad name, but it, it's yeah, Iden Versio's squad in the Imperial, arm in the Imperial not, military, and they're on some kind of, I don't remember the exact planet, I don't, it, it looked kind of like Felucia, but it's not. Yeah. But the, on the planet was one of the Emperor's, like, safe houses where he had a bunch of relics from the Jedi Order and everything that he just has kind of tucked away. Del didn't know that. Del just had the orders of it has to be destroyed. Exactly. And yeah. so there's a, the scene in the storyline for that is Del gets, like, trapped in this, like, amber stuff that's just native to the planet and, like, gets wrapped up and he's stuck. And you all you see you see all these the, the, he has stormtroopers with him and Luke literally like, you see Luke kind of appear and he's just in a figure in black which kind of reminds me a little bit of like Odin and kind of how like the wanderer kind of mentality at that point but you don't see Dell does not see that he's a Jedi until the lightsaber ignites and Luke kills all of the stormtroopers because the stormtroopers attack him. And then Dell is literally trapped and thinking that Luke's gonna kill him, and uh, Dell's like, "Please don't, let you know, hurt me. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to die." And so Luke saves him, and it comes later as you kind of go through the level because you play as Luke for that level. You go through it a little bit, and they get to the, I guess the the secret chamber where all the all the artifacts are held, and Luke finds what he's looking for, and he has still he's like can I take this? And Dale's like, why? And he's like, because I asked. And it's just, it just just does such a good job of showing the true mentality of like the grand master of the Jedi. It's just that like he, he, he is a force of good, but he also is, he will defend himself if need be, but it's just going along the lines that because Dale asked, Luke saved him and intervened. We have reached our Battlefront 2 tangent quota today, ladies and gentlemen. That we have. <laughs> I was going to, uh, speaking on that, it, it that's what makes me hate the sequel trilogies yes. even more because they just killed Luke. We don't need to talk about the sequel trilogies. No, that was we the don't. Last I just wanted to bring that up. <laughs> they, they, I just they, wanted to they, bring they, they Luke's killed Luke. <laughs> well, I feel like it is a great mirror to kind of show because we're talking about good writing and we're talking about the characters in particular. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about Luke right now. It is a great mirror to kind of show 
what's good and what's not good and why. Yeah, yeah. because they, they basically, in the sequels, they made Luke almost essentially go back to his A New Hope. Yeah. Yes, if not like worse. Exactly. So, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I they, they, all the character development that Luke gained from the original trilogy and any of the instances after that was just erased because the storyline goes, for the sequel trilogy at least, wasn't it like Kylo Ren, who was Ben Solo at the time, was being trained by Luke at the new, to the new Jedi Order, and Kylo was just giving in to the dark side? And, then, and and didn't he like slaughter the other initiates or the other acolytes? I, I think it was that? after the fact, but it, I think I can't remember it. Because I've not, been I've not, I think because I think they talk about in the Last Jedi, and I've not actually seen that movie. I, I think the reason he slaughters all the other initiates is because there's like this scene that plays out. I may be completely wrong, and this may be out of order, but um, he like Luke senses the dark side from yeah. Ben. And he literally, while Ben is sleeping, goes in and, like, almost tries to kill him. But he stops himself. But Ben wakes up anyways. And, and that's he sees what, the lightsaber. Isn't that what makes Luke that, go into exile? Yeah. Pretty much that, that that's, specific... that's what makes him go into exile. Which I can understand. But it's the way he acts when he comes out of exile that I hate. My thing is... I just I feel like that just doesn't fit Luke's character. No. Especially I, with the development that he's had up to that point. It's because Luke is the embodiment of hope. Like, with the first Star Wars movie, especially once Empire Strikes Back, they, they named it A New Hope. And Luke is that new hope. That, that's the thing is Luke embodies hope. And he, especially with Ben Solo being his nephew, he wouldn't want to kill him. He would want to redeem him. I mean, he redeemed Vader when no one could. I've seen even genius writing from Dave Filoni and John Favreau with, I think with Rebels they cover it, and with... The Obi-Wan Kenobi show, they, they did it a little bit. I don't think Filoni helped with that as much, but they still kind of played to that to a degree. Yeah. What's interesting that I've heard with that is I believe it's Obi-Wan in their fight in the Obi-Wan Kenobi show reveals, I think, like the left side. Yeah, like, and he, I was going to say, I figured he breaks this the is mask what you were talking about. Of Vader, and he reveals the left side of Anakin's face. And in the sh- the Rebels show, Ahsoka, who is Anakin's Padawan during the Clone Wars, fights him as well and shatters the right side and reveals that face. And that just goes to show that neither one of them, while they cared deeply for Anakin, because Obi that was Obi-Wan's brother. And Ahsoka, that was essentially her, also kind of like her brother. That was like her big brother, essentially, that, that she did. Yeah. They, they both tried to redeem him and failed. But ultimately, the only person who was able to ever get... Vader's mask off and truly reveal Anakin was Luke, his son. There's a reason why the mask is the way it is. It's described to be grotesque. Mm -hmm. It's supposed to be an outward reflection of the dark side in him. And when he takes it off, it shows that it was a facade for one, but also something that he could let go of. Yeah. And it's ruined. Oh, my gosh. I can't. Yeah, Yeah, that's a part of the good writing. Exactly. It's, it's described, it, it's always supposed to be a mask. It's always supposed to look futuristic, but ugly, mm-hmm. uh, not human. And he is supposed to, what's the, he's, he's supposed to take it off when he talks, when he is redeemed. So yeah. in kind of going on it being grotesque and stuff like that too, I think I've mentioned this a little bit in a previous podcast, but the procedures that the emperor used to bring to have vader's life support suit and bring it all back to life they had better technology to make it less painful yeah but the emperor purposely made it be integrated within his spine and like vader was in pain all the time and that was to do one thing which was fuel the dark side yes that pain turned into anger and turned into hate and that's what that's what essentially vader was a slave he's always been a slave yeah and that's another, just talking about the writing, I just had this realization. Anakin started out as a slave. He was a slave of Watto on there, and he won his freedom through the pod race and joining Qui-Gon. But even still, Anakin was still a slave to the Jedi. I was the Jedi say. used him and honestly abused him and wouldn't recognize his full potential and didn't give him the training that he actually needed. And even the even Palpatine used and abused him during that time, too, because was he was already say. manipulating him. I would say the dark side of the Force f- 
feels like it is partially inspired by the One Ring from Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. It's, I wouldn't say as much as the dark side is fueled by pain, as much as pain is necessary to resort to the use of, di- of yep. the dark side. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you think about it, all of the Jedi who fall to the dark side have a reason beforehand to fall. It's yes. usually something that is so painful that it's almost like a it's almost like a like a like a junkie using mm-hmm. to sort of divert their attention away from what is really wrong with them. And only someone who is truly enlightened and is balanced, uh, content in a way, is unswayed by the dark side. It's always described as being seductive as yep. well, which yep. that that's how drugs are. That's how the mm-hmm. One Ring is. Uh, in a similar way to the reason why Frodo can carry the One Ring is because is because hobbits are uncharacteristic or not uncharacteristic for the for the world they live in. They're just downright happy. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're just they're, yeah. Going on this, hobbits are resilient to the corruption of the ring and to just rings of power and, and magic's corruption in general. They're resilient to that. And bringing up Lord of the Rings. It's also the hero's journey. Yep. It for real. Whenever yes, you were talking about it, journey. I was literally thinking that's that's Lord yeah. of the Rings. Well, I mean, it's it's any real it's, yeah. Any I, I was major gonna, fantasy you, story follows Harry Potter. Even follows the hero's yeah, journey. Yeah, I was gonna say because you had said um, it's kind of like just doing the same thing over and over again, but it's a good story. And I was gonna say I don't really know how you could write that kind of story without ending up just going back to the hero's journey. Yeah, I mean, even going back to Homer's. The, the Odyssey and the Iliad, both of them are still the archetype of the hero's journey because, yeah. a, I mean, Achilles' magical amulet is his armor that he gets for the Iliad. And then you have in the Odyssey, oh, my God, what is, why can I not remember? Odysseus. You have Odysseus and and the growth that he has from starting out. For the, they, the journey of the Odyssey is after the Battle of Troy, and it's him trying to get back to his wife. And through that journey, he changes as a person and goes through several different trials. And so when he finally ends up back at uh, Ithaca, he's a different man. And things are different in Ithaca at that point, too. And it's, it's things that he has to adapt and overcome in a way. But it's for the it's for the better. He becomes a better person through all of those trials that he goes through. We could also talk about how he literally becomes a more desirable man because every hot-blooded male in the, in that town is trying to go after his wife and he beats out every one of them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, he, he he was able to survive all the attacks that Poseidon threw at him throughout the oh, entirety yeah. of the Odyssey. So, I mean, if he he was like, if I was going to die, I'd have done it a long time ago. <laughs> Any other points as far as writing goes that you would like to add that we haven't talked about? I could talk about Dune. I love Dune, and nobody ever credits Dune when it comes to Star Wars, but I, I immediately noticed a bunch of things well, that were from Dune. Because did when did the original movie... Because I know the book, was, the book was way before Star Wars came out, wasn't it? The book it? was uh, early to mid-60s. Early not, to mid-60s? Not crazy... But but Before. safe to say that George probably took some because I'm oh, sure he probably read it without a doubt mm-hmm. without a doubt and the reason why I say that I could the fact that the fir- the a, a major uh, set piece a major setting in the first movie is a desert planet obvious yeah uh, mysticism being paired with sci-fi was not something that happened very often before then. Mm-hmm. That is something that happened in Dune um, with, what do they call it? The Bene Gesserit, which are space witches in Dune, have a bunch of powers, and one of them is called the voice, and it's basically being able to control somebody just by commanding them to do something, they'll do it. Yeah. Um, mysticism in general being present in Dune and in Star Wars and a chosen one prophecy, that is probably the biggest theme in Dune and it's also just a massive theme in Star Wars because... Yeah. because I mean, they literally say it like multiple times. Like, We're the cho- he's the chosen like, one. And, yeah. the, and what I think is interesting about the idea of the chosen one, I believe that it was Anakin as the Chosen One, but I think it's mainly the Skywalker line. 
Yeah. The line of Skywalker is the line of the chosen one because it gets passed on to Luke because Anakin failed. And it was up to the whole point of Return of the Jedi. The Return of the Jedi movie was actually originally called Revenge of the Jedi. And they just changed it because I, I think it sounded too dark. I Revenge guess. is very dark. I was going to say that I, wouldn't have worked as well. It wouldn't have worked because I think it's really Luke was the one who brought balance to the Force and it got passed down. Where, where Anakin failed, Luke did not. Luke did not give in to the dark side. He had that opportunity and he cast it away and chose the side of the light. And I think to a, some to some degree he went more gray because that's where the it doesn't talk about it as much in the sequel trilogy because they veered away from it. But in subsequent books and comics and stuff for Star Wars, Luke leans more gray. He's one of the first grays, and that's someone who embraces both the light and the dark side, and realizes that without the other, like that there can be not there can be no light without dark, and there can't be darkness without light. What do you mean the sequel series forgot the original point <laughs> of the, of Star Wars? Go, going what are you talking on about like modern writing, I I feel like a lot of people with modern writing now just think that their audiences are dumb. They don't have enough intelligence well, to be able to see good writing. <laughs> well, I mean, they can't. A lot are dumb. <laughs> They can't talk about it, but your brain knows it. Your brain realizes these things. And that's, like you said, that's why people like Han Solo without being able to articulate why. Mm -hmm. That's why people like Luke without being able to say exactly why they like him. Is because your brain sees all the ingredients and eats it up. Well, because to some degree you can relate. I mean, if you compare Ray to Luke and how they they're in, in A Force Awakens to, to, you can laugh I mean everyone laughs I mean, sorry I've just never heard no. that said if you compare Ray to Luke and I was just like oh so uh, very comparable characters you have in The Force Awakens Ray her whole reasoning of going to fight the First Order is literally just because it's the right thing to do and that's just not enough of a conviction for someone to go risk their lives and it's, the lives of others for that. Luke did so because in A New Hope, he talks about all his friends have already left the planet or are leaving the planet. So he already wants to kind of leave and branch out from Tatooine anyway and from... And like some of his friends were already waste. in with like the rebels and everything. Or the Empire. Because I the think Empire, they, they yeah. went to the Imperial Academy too. Yeah. But then there was also, he ran into Ben, who he just, for the longest time, thought was just a crazy man in the woods. But he learned the true past of his father and what he could become. So that it was the curiosity of learning more about his father and learning more about becoming a Jedi and becoming one with the Force. And then when they finally returned to his home, the Empire has murdered his aunt and uncle, which were his father, fi- father and mother figure. So you have my boy. Curi- you have you have just the the longing to branch out and be something and go do more than what the little life is in just the little small innocent life of being a moisture farmer. He has the the burgeoning need to branch out and find himself. He also has the curiosity of learning more about his father and more about the Force and what that could possibly do for his life. And then also revenge. He wants revenge for, the, for losing his family. Listen, I can appreciate the message of heroes. The only thing they need to do is stand up for what's right, and that's what separates being mundane and not achieving a purpose from people who are purposeful and do good. But at the same time, for a character to develop, it has to be very personal. It can't just be, oh, for no reason, I decided to do good. And that's my whole arc is... I remember throughout, like, the entire three movies of the sequel, they kept, like, hinting of, like, oh, who's Ray's parents? Mm -hmm. And then they literally eventually end up going, like, oh, well, I, I guess they just... At one, well, at one point, I think they literally went, um, they went, no, they're, okay, they're actually nobody. Like, they straight up, your parents yeah. are nobody. And then they realized they can't do that. So they went, you're a Palpatine. And I was like, oh, God. And then they tried, and then she took on the moniker of Skywalker, which just didn't make any sense at all. Like, I get that you were trained by Luke, but, I mean, it's like Luke didn't become Luke Yoda. Luke Yoda? Or Luke Kenobi. 
I mean, that just it just seems dumb. I, I understand because didn't Luke die? Yeah, in, Luke dies in the Last Jedi. It's so stupid. That's <sighs> no, actually, around, going dude. back to that, I was actually going to bring that up about the whole Luke thing and the they killed Luke. Um, like they took him back to being the Luke from A New Hope. Yeah. Only just so they could have him have that arc again, so he could like be, oh, I gotta stand up for everybody and have that whole scene uh, where he's fighting the walkers or whatnot. Yeah. And he's like doing the holo- uh, holographic like thing. Yeah. I don't know how he like, did it. They like, don't even the, like the actually projection. Talk. Yeah. That that they never that like make talked any about sense. that again. They were just like, oh, he's projecting himself like millions that, of. That's the away. other thing to kind of bring in with writing that that you just don't see in the new ones. They they just do things and like we can just do it because Star Wars because Star Wars and th- this is just how it is. But every other instance in anything written by George, it has a importance. Like the the training that goes up, like the fact that Ray could just do all these things. She could use the Force. She could mi- manipulate people's minds with zero training, which just doesn't make sense. And it, you have this issue. Of when you don't have when you have flawless characters, they're not liked. It was the issue that Superman had after once, like because Superman was great for the comics in the Silver Age because we were coming out of post World War II. Everybody wanted somebody inv- invincible to kind of look up to, so it was great then. But eventually, people get tired of that. There's nothing to keep readers coming back if there's well, Superman's always gonna win. Ray's always gonna win. But so that's why they had to invent kryptonite and give him some kind of weakness and some kind of flaw so that people could actually relate. You just reminded me. I did a character analysis of Ray and how the a big thing in the original series is how Darkseid is power without discipline. Yep. And discipline is literally putting a bunch of time and a bunch of focus into something so that you can master it and so you have a deeper understanding of it. By cutting through all that with Ray, it's 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 like they're saying she's dark side without being it. And I'll, that's what that implies. Wasn't she kind of like she has that one instance of like seeing the vision of herself? Yeah, as she the sees dark herself side. like the dark side Ray, and that's got like the, it was a cool lightsaber they had. I'll give them that. <laughs> the like the split double lightsaber was, was, that was cool. It was weird. <laughs> it was weird and would I hold if I thought about it like if you held it like just normally without splitting it and you just yeah. use it like that. What's the point? Like this is a side tangent, but it reminds me of the stupid sword from the random Final Fantasy movie called Final Fantasy VII: Advent Children. One of the characters has a katana that just has two blades. It's not a double-bladed sword. They're both single blades, single blades, but on one hilt, and it's just dumb. A giant. They, they when carving the fuller in it, they just kept going until it was. Oh yeah. Up. <laughs> that was, yeah, that's exactly what happened. But yeah, the, uh, they she like sees her dark side self, and I, I God, I can't remember exactly what happens after that. But I remember her having like sharp teeth and like fangs and whatnot, it's and it was weird. just weird. I just. They had such a good opportunity for setting up writing. If I, I think they Finn, had a lot Finn of should good have been stuff. the main character because with Finn being the main character, they could have branched out and and given the basis of how the First Order had as much money as they did to have a bigger, bigger, and better weaponry than the Empire at full power. It just doesn't make sense. Like on on top of that. How are you going to make a space station that's bigger than the Death Stars both combined and then destroy the, like, ec- economic hub of the galaxy? Like, in Force Awakens, the, the planet they destroy because they're following the exact same plot line as A New Hope, they destroy Coruscant, which, from a tactical standpoint, does not make sense. Oh, no. I forgot about that. Didn't they? Yeah, that's that's yeah, that's literally the economic hub of the galaxy. It's terrible. That's not even that's just dumb. That is, because even from if you're wanting to bring back the empire and bring back Palpatine and stuff like that, he would Palpatine would never have wanted you to destroy Coruscant. That's dumb, because that's where he gets all his money. Yeah, you would never. What are you going? Where's going to be the seat of your power? They didn't have one. They didn't have one, and they just never explained that, and because they just it's one of those things. Where I think it goes to they don't think that your audience is smart enough to realize that, but 
they are. That's why there's so many people who don't like the sequel trilogy, and it's really not... It's not as much to me the identity and the politics that are involved around it. That, that, that's that's neither here nor there. You, if you want to, I've seen instances of of people having identity politics and stuff in there, and it still be written fairly well. But a lot of times it's just not. It's it, it's it's shoved in there as it is, and then there's just such shallow writing that goes into it, and it's it's always pull. Everything's a like it goes back to. The, it was just like um, probably over a year ago that we had the discussion of like we're now in the dark ages of pop culture and entertainment and I, I think that just goes to show I, I agree with that because everything coming out to remake there's very few original content actually coming out and anything that is is just not hitting that mark it's it, you definitely see a lack of writing I'm convinced that second third and fourth, fifth, final, like any other draft than first just does not exist at these companies because gaping plot holes exist in a lot of new media. And like you said, in, in Star Wars, that's exactly, you could have had any, anyone who was familiar with Star Wars, really just familiar with storytelling, mm-hmm. look at some of these and go, hang on, why, why'd they blow up the White House if they wanted like someone to be president that's not it's yeah. not gonna you know work who they should have brought in i god i can't remember his actual name but the guy who plays star killer oh sam whitwer sam whitwer yeah because he like has like the most knowledge i've ever seen yeah. out of anybody he's corrected dave filoni yeah they they should have just brought him in he he is I, I think that i think dave is actually bringing him in on more projects oh i was now. meaning for the sequel movies they should have brought him in on well, that i do know that there's a new movie coming out with Ray that that was teased at the re- most recent Star Wars celebration, and I don't know how I feel about it. But if Dave Filoni has any part in it, he's the only one who can redeem Star Wars at this point, in my opinion, because Dang. he's well, he's the one who wrote the entirety of the Clone Wars series. He, he like, I don't, oh yeah, have you seen that series at all, Trent? I yeah, we're talking about the like the, old... the animated Clone Wars show that was used to be like on Cartoon Network. Yeah, 3D, right? Yeah. The 3D animation. Yes, I watched it. I haven't watched it recently, but I watched it back in the day. So what's interesting is in Revenge of the Sith, they had Order 66. And a lot of people were just like, it really kind of doesn't make sense for just the clones who had been serving with the Jedi up until this point. And they're they're allies and they've, they've bonded with each other that they would just turn. And it just really didn't make sense. Dave Filoni made it make sense. There's an... Each of the all the clones had in their design an inhibitor chip put in their head that when uh, it's essentially a certain call or execute order 66 was the trigger and that turned made them all turn on the Jedi. I'm actually glad you brought up both the Clone Wars, like the show Mm -hmm. and order 66 because and it also I was thinking about it back when you were talking about how whenever Obi-Wan got captured on Geonosis Count Dooku literally tells him that everything everything is like going over your head you don't actually know what's happening yeah there's a, I, I, it's like I think it's season seven in Clone Wars, Probably. where Maul gets captured yep. by like Ahsoka and them, and he's literally like screaming, "You guys don't know what you're doing. You're making the it's wrong either, choice." That's either uh, season seven or six, but I know what you're talking about. Is is when Maul has control of Mandalore? Yeah, yeah, and he's literally like screaming at them, like "You are making the wrong choice." But Ahsoka's just like, "Get him!" But that's also like, that's why Ahsoka leaves. Yeah, because in in the Clone Wars series. Ahsoka actually gets – she becomes the scapegoat for for this dichotomy that happens within the Jedi Council and the Jedi Temple and everything because the, the Emperor has – like essentially has agents that kind of went in and shook, rocked the boat essentially in the Jedi Order and – there was turmoil from within, and that's one of the reasons why it stopped. That's why Ahsoka left. She was like, "I you can't, I can't trust the Jedi because they wouldn't even believe her." When she said, "I did not do this," it, Anakin almost didn't believe her because he was already at that point being heavily influenced by Palpatine. Yeah, and you even see instances of, oh, gosh, why can't I remember his name right now? The Admiral. Thrawn? Tarkin, 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 Tarkin. So you see Tarkin in his younger years, kind of in a few episodes of the Clone Wars with Anakin, and Anakin agrees with his more brutal principles because at that point he just Anakin wants the war to be done. He's tired of seeing his men get killed and slaughtered. He's tired of seeing innocents die. So 
he's so consumed with just finishing the war, and he does, and he's the emperor is essentially saying that we're the only ones who can do it. But at that time, he's Palpatine's not emperor, but it's it's already just seeing how the strings are being pulled throughout all of it. But I think that's as much as we've got so far. For we've we've talked for quite a bit. This is about over an hour <laughs> for talking about writing for Star Wars. What's that, buddy? There's death troopers in the hall. I got him. I got you. Well, that's our broadcast, folks. I think the Empire is going to shut us down. We'll see you next time, hopefully. Hopefully.